In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I beg your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We read in St. John's Gospel how at the crucifixion the soldiers came to break the legs of the criminals in order that the bodies may not remain that day because of the Passover. They were kind of in a hurry. And so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him, with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers opened his side with a lance, and immediately there came out blood and water. This is a very powerful symbol that we contemplate today on the solemnity of the Sacred Heart. It is obviously a historical event, but it is also a symbolic event of how much our Lord loves us. He has shed every drop of his blood and even water. There's nothing left to give on Jesus' part in order for us to be saved. He has been totally magnanimous, big-souled, big-hearted on our behalf so that we can share in his divinity. The fathers of the church have always seen this scene as, as the birth of all the sacraments in the church. Blood and water come out of Christ's side. The church is born somehow. Blood representing the Eucharist, water, baptism. We are redeemed because of Christ's love for us. Today, um, in this great feast, perhaps what we ought to do is take the same attitude that St. John, the evangelist, the beloved disciple, took at the Last Supper, where, as he himself tells us in his gospel, that he, the beloved disciple, he reclined at Jesus' bosom in the chest of Christ. We can only imagine what that must have been like. Of course, you know, if you're sitting at a chair, it's kind of strange to be reclining on somebody's bosom. But if you're reclining like the Jews did back then, kind of in couches on the floor, it's more, it's more reasonable, it's more doable. And that's exactly what St. John did. He was reclining next to Jesus. And so, you know, if they're all together there and he's next to Jesus, it's, 
it's very easy to just simply recline at at somebody's chest. We could think that he got away with it also because he was the youngest of the apostles and the most beloved. Jesus had a special affection for him. And the church has always seen that we, all the members of the church, are somehow in the beloved disciple, you know, either there leaning on the heart of Christ or at the foot of the cross when he received Mary as his mother. When St. John leaned or reclined at Jesus' bosom, we can only imagine that he could have listened to the heart of Christ. He could have listened to the heart of Christ beat with great intensity. After all, he was he knew what was coming to him. He knew that he was going to go to death for all of mankind. You know, he was perfectly aware of what he was going to do. And therefore his heart must have been beating rather heavily, rather intensely for us. And, and if not physically, certainly figuratively, he had great love for us at that moment. In fact, he gave us the commandment of love right there at the Last Supper. With great desire have I desired to have this Passover with you, reports St. Luke at the Last Supper. You know, So leaning on the heart of Christ for St. John must have been quite, quite an experience of their being so close to the beating of a heart that just wanted to escape out of the ribcage for mankind. In the gospel, our Lord had said previously, there where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. He encouraged us to examine ourselves as to where we put our treasures, because that's where we're going to find our heart. Where, what do we really treasure? Is it the salvation of souls? Is it, or is it ourselves? Sometimes because we have original sin, our hearts kind of go, in, go off you know, in the wrong direction. And that happened to the Israelites many times. And we shouldn't be surprised if it happens to us. In fact, our Lord said in, in Scripture, through the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel, a new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will not, excuse me, and I will take out of your flesh your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, our hearts sometimes become hearts of stone because we are so, you know, slow to love. And yet our Lord promises us that he will give us a heart of flesh, a renewed heart. St. Jose Maria points out that God did not say, I will take away your heart and give you a pure spiritual will, you know. 
He doesn't, he doesn't equate the heart with something evil, even though he did say, our Lord did say, from the heart come all these evil thoughts, all these you know, adulteries, betrayals, and um, you know, debaucheries, and so on. But also the heart of man is capable of great love that could be divinized, that could be raised to great heights. And it's not about taking away our heart of flesh. It's about renewing it. And actually that heart of flesh becomes a heart of stone here in Ezekiel with the image. And God will give us a renewed heart of flesh, a true heart of flesh. It's not about just taking it away and giving us a kind of spiritual, you know, disincarnated um, will or spiritual kind of power. No. Our Lord loves humanity. And in fact, he became incarnate. He took on a human heart himself in order to show us how much we can love with our own heart of flesh. If we let him, if we let grace actually renew it and take over. But we have to give him permission. St. Maria pointed out that we don't have two hearts, one to love God and one to love you know, our mother, our father, or our brothers and sisters, or you know, whatever it is that we love here on earth, our, you know, our, the good work that we do and our profession and things like that. No, we have one heart with which we love God and with which we love everything else. And that's why we need to have a renewed heart that can extend to all realities because all realities that have been created, that have come out of, of God, are good. That's what, what God himself actually noticed in Genesis one chapter one when he creates everything he says you know the the text says and god saw that everything was good well we have to love god with our heart we have to love him with his heart because it is also a heart of flesh this means that we need as it were, well, like, like Ezekiel suggests, that we need to get a heart transplant. When you get a heart transplant, I mean, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, we need to have a heart within us that beats at the same pace as Christ's, because that's what it means to be truly human. Our hearts kind of slow down when we think too much about ourselves. And they and we need to kind of put a pacemaker, a divine pacemaker, you know, on in our hearts or, or get a transplant completely, renew our hearts so that so that we can truly love the way God wants us to love in a human and divine way at the same time, in a nobly human way and a nobly divine way, obviously. I think we can, you know, we can re- we realize that every every person is really yearning for this, even though they may not know it. Saint Augustine says, 
in the opening passages of his confessions, you have made us for you, O Lord, and restless will our heart until will our heart be until it rests in you. We can interpret this as, you know, our hearts will be restless until we actually synchronize our hearts to the heart of Christ. Think about that. I think we can identify three areas in which we can identify ourselves with the heart of Christ. You know, as as St. Paul says, you know, have the same sentiments as Christ did in Philippians. And and how, how do we do that? Well, the first aspect, I think, is, is the timing. I mean, if you're going to have a heart transplant, it better beat at the right pace. You know, how do we get our hearts to beat at the right pace? The, the timing, I think, is important. We can interpret this as as um, a person in love. For a person in love, the timing is essential. Look at, at the blind man, Bartimaeus. When Jesus calls him, right there as he is lying by the, way, by the wayside, and he's yelling out, he hears that Jesus is coming, and he yells out, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And people tell him to shut up. And then Jesus passes by, doesn't pay attention to him. And then he yells all the louder. And then people, you know, people are saying, shut up, shut up, be quiet. And Jesus says, okay, call him. And when Jesus calls him, for some reason, St. Mark says, he left, Bartimaeus left his coat and immediately went to Jesus. Why did he tell us about the coat? Well, we don't know, but it's kind of a strange, you know, um, thing to say, you know, unless it was significant. I think it was significant because it meant that Bartimaeus perhaps was attached to the coat or something. And for him to leave the coat behind was significant. And he left it immediately because he wanted to go to Jesus. This immediacy of rising up and going to Jesus is, you know, it reveals how much he loves and how much you know being with Jesus means to a man like Bartimaeus, who has the hope of being cured of his blindness. So he leaves it immediately. The timing reveals love, you see. Also the apostles, when 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 everywhere in the gospel where where it talks about the apostles being called, it always says Immediately, they left everything and followed. Immediately, they left everything and followed. Just, there's no delay. When you know Jesus comes to to visit Lazarus's tomb because he has heard that he has died, his friend has died. It's striking to see the attitude of of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who, upon hearing that from her sister Martha, that Jesus was there. She, it says, Mary rose up quickly and went out. And people are saying, where is she going? You know, she's going to the tomb to pray or to cry there. 
but people were impressed at how quickly she rose up, you know, just got up and, 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 and went to meet Jesus. The alacrity of the heart, the, the timing, the immediacy reveals love. A heart in love knows not delays. We see a counterexample of this in the rich young man. When he is called to be with Jesus, to leave everything behind and give all his possessions to the poor and follow Jesus. And the rich young man, what does it say? If you recall, the rich young man went away sad because he had too many possessions. He had many possessions. And, and those possessions weighed his heart down. Amazing what material possessions do to a heart. It's, they, they slow it down. The beating of the heart just kind of pumps less blood. You know, loves less, is heavy. This puts new light, this sheds new light on how we live the heroic minute. The heroic minute is not just about getting up in the morning. It's about saying yes to God whenever we are called to do so because of some duty of charity, whether it be at work, whether it be getting up in the morning, of course, whether it be you know, time to pray now or time to stop working or time to go to our family. It's always about service. But when we delay, when we're, oh, I can't get away from the internet. Oh, I can't get away from the video game. Oh, I can't get away from the TV program. And they're calling us to dinner, you know. Oh, I'll be right there. No. We're attached to something. We need that timing that comes from love. That heroic minute that St. Jose Maria talked about. You know, to do it now. He mortified himself. Living heroic minutes throughout the day. He would carry a little little pocket notebook. Where he, you know, that helped him to live the heroic minute. Because whenever he had an idea. And for him, ideas were very important because he would feed people with his ideas, with the ideas that came from his prayer, really from our Lord, from the Holy Spirit. He would write it down, but he would mortify himself, writing it down, writing it down. Think about that. You know, whenever you get an inspiration from the Holy Spirit, do you write it down in your heart? Or do you write it down on paper so that you can think about it, mull it over? In your prayer, so that you can help others. Well, that's what Saint Jose did, and that's why we have, you know, his books: "The Way," "The Furrow," "The Forge." Those are all heroic minutes lived, you know, on the, in the moment, because he saw the experience of God's love in his soul, and he said, "I have to. This is not just for me. This is for this is for many people to benefit from." So the timing, the timing is important. The timing reveals love. What about the intensity? That's the second aspect I think that we can consider today of the heart of Christ. He, his heart beat with intensity, even at times physically, like in Gethsemane. I mean, he sweat blood. You can imagine the pressure, the blood pressure, you know, just to, to, to get blood to sweat. Out of pores, it just it takes a lot of high blood pressure. I would imagine. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but <clears throat> we can only imagine that that was the case. 
I think the intensity for us could be interpreted as how much love he has for us. The intensity of love, the intensity of you know pumping that blood through our own arteries, his blood through our own arteries. That's what he wants. You know, out of his side came blood and water. I mean, he he gave it all up. It's about giving everything. It's not just kind of, you know, well, I'll give something. It's about giving everything. When do we need to give everything? When, when is there a big demand for blood flow, you know? Um, I think when, when we have to show mercy to others, the intensity of love, if, if we really love with great intensity, we'll be able to forgive many people. That's what Christ did. He really loved us to the point that he gave his entire life for us. One time, St. Jose Maria was in a tram, and um, it was during the anti-clerical era of Spain, where people were just making fun of priests. and It was not the Civil War yet, you know, when people were being killed for their faith. But people were just anti-clerical overall. And, and whenever they saw a priest, they would, they would just kind of you know, hiss at them or whatever. But in this case, he was in a tram and this worker full of cement dust or chalk dust or whatever, plaster. He just rubbed up against St. Josemaria's cassock, you know, which he usually wore very, you know, in a very clean way. You know, he was very... Um, tidy about his clothing and he just saw the priest and he says I'm going to rub it up against him <laughs> and St. Josemaria saw what he had done and he saw that it was on purpose it was clear and what did St. Josemaria do he, he went up to him as he left the tram and he said my brother you forgot to really give me a hug completely. And he gave him a hug, big hug. You know, he got all his cassocks dirty. And, um, and he forgave him. And, you know, later on in his life, he would say, Lord, you did, I, I haven't had the need to learn how to forgive because you have taught me how to love. This implies, this, this statement is, is, is very interesting. It, it, it really implies that forgiveness is kind of like the hallmark of love. It's, you know, if, if you love with great intensity, you'll get to the point that you can forgive anything. That's the intensity of the heart of Christ. He forgives any sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big the sin is. It doesn't matter how big the offense is to him. Because he knows how to love. And therefore, his heart is bigger than anything we can ever imagine. How do we correspond to this love? What is our intensity? I think our intensity comes in accepting that forgiveness of God and in forgiving others. But the acceptance of it is shown in piety. Just like that woman who was a big sinner that adulterous woman who came to our Lord's feet at Simon the Pharisee's house and was washing his feet with her hair 
drying with her tears, drying them with her hair. Our Lord said, because she has loved much, much will be forgiven. You see, piety is that the way that we can show how much we appreciate God's intense love for us to the point that he forgives us. So, so think, you know, this little virtue of piety. How do I go to Mass? How do I participate at Mass? Do I really have, do I really embroider, quote-unquote, you know, like St. Jose would say, the Mass? Do I really pray those antiphons? Do I engrave them in my heart? And I extend the Mass throughout my day, repeating those words of love that really come from the Psalms and from the readings and from the liturgy. This is this is embroidering the mass. This is what this is what will make us capable of free, of, of being forgiven, of really accepting the the great intensity of the love of God. And also, it'll inspire us to forgive others as well. Because if we have been forgiven much, then we also ought to forgive one another. Our Lord says that in the gospel many times. You know, this is this is part. This is where we have to get rid of the heart of stone. The cold heart that we have towards others. Can't do that. We have to forgive. At Mass, you know, St. Maria says, you know, that, that it is never long. And if it is long, it's because our love is short. A man or a woman who loves with intensity, time flies. It's just it's as if it was just one moment of love. That's how intense our love should be for our Lord, that we don't count the cost or count the time. Because it's, you know, we're there in the, in the moment of ecstasy. It's just, you don't, you know, St. Teresa of Avila and her ecstasies didn't look at her watch. I mean, well, she didn't have a watch, but, you know, we don't look at our watch when we're in love. You know, we just, we just enjoy that moment. Then when we, when we have to move on, we realize how much time has elapsed. It's just incredible. That's the intensity of the heart of Christ. It doesn't count the cost. Everything is small. Everything that, that we can give or that our heart and love can give is, is little in comparison with what it wants to give. And that's why God gave everything. You know, in the Eucharist especially, he gives everything, the whole thing. There's no, there's, he doesn't hold anything back. The intensity of love. That's how much he loves us. And that's how, that's what we can do. Um, we can love with intensity. We can love back with intensity. What about a third aspect of the heart of Christ that we can imitate? I think it's the extension of his heart. You know, how much he loves and how many people fit within his heart. He's not afraid to love because, you know, there's too many people to love or something like that. He's like, I just want to love two or three because otherwise I can't love anybody else. No, he embraces all people. He sees the crowd like sheep without a shepherd. He sees souls. You know, he draws all to himself at the crucifixion. He thirsts more than for water for souls. You know, that's the implication when he says he thirsts at the crucifixion. Definitely, he's thirsting for water because he has lost a lot of blood. But 
the only other time where our Lord thirsts in St. John's Gospel is when he's with the Samaritan woman. And when the Samaritan woman brings all the souls of the town to him, he doesn't thirst anymore. He doesn't, he's not hungry anymore. And the apostles are kind of perplexed, you know. He didn't get any water to drink and he didn't get anything to eat and he's fine, you know. And before he was just really thirsty. But he was, his thirst was quenched with souls. He embraces everyone. There was a, a movie that St. Jose Maria was watching with, with others in, uh, in Rome. And um, it was kind of a documentary. And there was, um, it was from Africa. And um, someone said, you know, hey, is that a man or a woman? It was a, a black man or a woman. And uh, he kind of spoke out. You know, in the, in the middle of the documentary, is that a, a man or a woman? You couldn't tell. Saint Maria got a little, you know, you know, um, uh, revved up with that comment because he yelled out from the from wherever he was in the in the in the uh, auditorium there. In the, um, he said, "It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. That is a child of God. That's what matters." You know. Everybody was kind of quiet. It doesn't matter if he's black or white, man or woman, that is a child of God. And he added, for whom all the blood of Christ has been poured. Interesting. He was truly living this universal extension of the heart of Christ. That St. Paul also talked about and lived. You know, there is no longer male or female, Jew or Greek. You know, we can add black or white or whatever race. It doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ. We're all children of God. That's what matters. There's only one race, the race of the children of God, he said many times. We don't discriminate when we have this, this universal heart of Christ. We embrace all people. We go out to the peripheries like the Pope said. You know, we embrace all. We love all. We serve all. We take them where they are. Very important for us to, to examine ourselves in, in, in these three areas. You know, the timing. The timing because we have to fight against our comfort and our laziness. Or the intensity. The intensity of love. Because there are other loves that come and, and compete with our loves. You know, we talked about piety. Or poverty, you know, if we don't live piety or poverty, we, we, we get attached to other things. Or purity, we can add. You know, the heart has to be pure in order to love. We always, in order to live these three aspects, we need to constantly be adjusting our heart to his. That's part of the, the you know, the divine pacemaker that, that he's giving us. And of course, the extension. What, what, what is an, an obstacle to the extension? The envy and the pride. Against others, or our nationalisms, you know, our groupy mentality. No, we have to be universal. We have to embrace all. And this takes suffering because the heart, in order to change the heart, it takes takes suffering. Change hurts. That's just the way it is. And adjusting, just like braces, adjusting the teeth, just, you know, those little adjustments, it hurts. But then we are synchronized 
with the heart of Christ in the timing and the intensity and the extension. And then we can love. Then we can actually co-redeem with him by loving with his own heart, by really uh, showing how much we too can actually participate in that thirst of Christ for souls. Uh, extraordinary, extraordinary possibilities for the heart of man. And it all happens if we allow him to do it, to, to, to do the heart transplant, the heart of stone, substituted with a heart of flesh, which is capable of divine love. Well, let us turn to Mary. Tomorrow we will celebrate the Immaculate Heart of Mary. You know, we celebrate these two feasts together because they're so close. The, the heart of Mary and the heart of Christ are just one. They beat at the same pace. In fact, all the blood at some point you know, in, in the womb, while Jesus was in the womb, came from Mary. It was the, the heart of Mary and the heart of Christ were just one, you know, one exchange of blood. You know, incredible. That's really communion. If there's any communion, it's right there. Let us turn to her and ask her to, to help us really adjust our, the beating of our heart with the beating of his heart, which is also uh, very close to hers. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.